Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations about all things, including the topics you are too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Linda Schwartz. I'm filling in for Hula this week. And on today's show, we have two special guests joining us. They're here to share about Southeast Asian Coast to Coast Foundation, whose mission is to reconnect adoptees from the war in Vietnam with their birth parents, and provide emotional healing for active duty U.S. military personnel and veterans. They also share their personal stories with us, being Vietnamese orphans themselves. And I want to thank our guests, Kirk Kellerhalls and Khan Oxelson, for joining us today. Welcome, gentlemen. I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, so let's get right into it. I uh, I, I want to know more about your stories. Um, from what I know of you both is that you were both orphans as a result of the Vietnam War and were later adopted by American parents. Could you share a little bit about your stories and um, and what the circumstances were that caused you to become orphaned? So Kirk, let's start with you. Sure, sure. Thanks for having us on, Lynn. It's great to, great to be able to be here and, uh, and talk to you and kind of share our stories. Um, well, I guess the best way to start is just kind of explain. I was, I was born in 1969 in Vietnam, in Da Nang, Vietnam, during the tailing of the war. Uh, I ended up in an orphanage and was adopted out of the orphanage when I was about two and a half years old by an uh, Army major that was serving in the war at the time. And I had the privilege of growing up uh, all over the globe as an Army brat um, and with this adoptive family. I love that story, Kirk, although that's, I, there's got to be some more detail. We got to get into the detail a little bit more, but let me, I'll, I'll share yeah, a little yeah. bit about mine. Um, and we actually have some similar beginnings. Um, I was also born during the war in 1971 in Da Nang. My father was a U.S. serviceman there in Da Nang, in Vietnam, and my mother worked at a U.S. Army base uh, there in Da Nang. And I think she knew right away that it was going to be very difficult for me uh, growing up in Vietnam. So she actually took me to an orphanage, the Sacred Heart Orphanage in Da Nang, the day after I was born. And I spent about 10 months there in the orphanage and eventually was adopted by a family in California, a Swedish and Irish family uh, in California and raised in Central California, right in the middle of the state um, with an older sister and a younger sister. Neither of them were adopted, but... Um, they were just wonderful siblings for me growing up. Um, as you can imagine, being half black and half Vietnamese and growing up in a Swedish and Irish family, there's a lot of baggage <laughs> there. There's a lot going on. And so to be, and, and Kirk and I have talked about this a lot, that we feel so blessed to have been adopted by great families and given great opportunities. And no question, in, in my situation, I had a lot of wonderful opportunities growing up. That sounds amazing. And Kirk, I mean, if you want to fill in some more details for us, I'm sorry, my mic was off. I was talking sure, to myself sure. right there for a minute. No, <laughs> no problem. No problem. <laughs> well, as I said, I ended up in the orphanage. And um, and the thing is, I, I cannot honestly remember if, if it was by, um, if I was told or if it was just imagined, but there was always the assumption that both my mother and father were both killed during the war. And that's how I ended up in the orphanage. Uh, so I grew up my whole life believing that, not really expecting uh, anything as far as my Vietnamese heritage ever coming back to, to visit me in the future. So, you know, for the first 48 years of my life, I, you know, I lived with the notion that my parents were dead and it wasn't until, um, I found out some years later, some 48 years later that they were actually both still alive and well, uh, but that, that's a whole other story in and of no itself. Kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are the odds of that? Like, how did you find out? And, um, I mean, I, I know you both, you know, work very, very hard to, 
um, help families locate their birth families. But tell us about how you came about locating and meeting your birth mother and father. Kirk, why don't you start? Well, sure, sure. Absolutely. Uh, it, it was an absolute complete accident. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, I had no, no, you know, inkling of an idea or any, any concept of all, you know, concept at all of the possibility of my parents being alive. But what, what prompted it was the, was the DNA testing that was uh, readily made available and was, was, was fairly uh, inexpensive. Um, but the reason I took the DNA test is kind of funny in of itself. My, my wife is uh, Filipino and we've always joked back and forth about my ethnicity because we knew half of me was Vietnamese, but the other half was you know, just this big question mark and empty hole that I've had my whole life. So uh, with me being you know, an ocean lover, I love surfing, I love fishing, I love you know, anything out on the water. Uh, I went to Hawaii quite some time ago and fell in love with that culture and, and everything about Hawaii. So, you know, with me being adopted, I just ever since then adopted Hawaii as the other half. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I always assumed that I was either, you know, Polynesian, South South Pacific Island or Hawaiian or something. Uh, and then my wife would always poke back at me thinking that I look more Filipino. So this was an <laughs> ongoing joke between the two of us for several years. And then uh, back in 2017, she had asked me to take a DNA test to kind of Put it to rest because she knew that the DNA test would reveal the ethnicity and you know kind of put this whole debate to rest. And, and I resisted for quite a while. But the funny thing was, the only reason I took the DNA test was there was a Groupon uh, <laughs> for, for for half off one of these DNA co uh, companies. So I was just like, you know what, I'm going to humor her. I'll go ahead and put in for it, and you know we'll we'll settle this debate. And uh, perhaps you know if I'm lucky, I might find a fifth cousin or you know a sixth cousin removed or something yeah. like that. So uh, went ahead and took the DNA test around mid-April of 2017. And then about mid-May, it was actually May 19th, I can tell the exact date, I was uh, attending my son's high school graduation. And um, being, you know, the, the bad father that I am, I had my cell phone out and got an email alert. Instead of paying attention, I looked down at the email, and the email was from uh, an individual with a, with a weird first name spelling that I didn't recognize. The first name spelling was NGA, and the last name was Niblet. And the subject line just simply read, looking for my son. Oh. Uh, for and I, for some reason, I thought NGA was an African name. So when I saw that and saw looking for my son, I just immediately assumed this was this was some kind of scam. This is a Nigerian prince that's looking for somebody to hold his you know his fortune for a small commission. And and I and I and I ignored it. But the crazy thing is, normally I would just delete it, but I didn't delete it. So uh, his graduation continued, and then uh, at the end of the graduation, I checked the email and saw that right after that email, there was another email and the email was from Family Tree DNA, the DNA company that I had submitted my DNA yeah. test to. And the subject matter line on that was parent connection, parent child connection found. No. And, and the name was the same as the name of the email that I had just received previously to that. They had come in like five minutes apart. So uh, you want to talk about feeling like a, a, a little bricks dropping on you oh, or, or being struck by lightning. No, because, no kidding. I mean, I'm over here yeah, getting goosebumps. Yeah. Just, I mean, just that emotional... All, all the emotional things that come up from finding out, I mean, I mean, your whole life you thought that your parents were dead and now here you are getting an mm -hmm. email basically from your mom or your parents, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm assuming it's mm -hmm. your mom. I don't know for sure. But um, I mean, gosh, like that must have just been a, a, a roller coaster. Like what, what, oh, was. what was it the was. first thing that came to your mind? Well, the first thing that came to my mind was this, that this is impossible. Uh, th th this can't be true. I, you know, I, my mother's dead. My father's dead. I've, I've known my whole life they're dead. So this, I, there was still that little thought in the back of my mind that this has got to be a scam. 
But on the original email, there was a phone number on there that uh, turned out to be my mom, but she was, you know, looking for my son, please call me at this number. So um, I had my other son who was with me at the time, pull out his phone and record. Cause I, you know, I told him, I said, I want this recorded because either this is my mother or this is one of the most harsh scams in history yeah. that someone could ever pull. And, you know, if it came down to it and I needed evidence to, you know, put an end to the scam, I would have it. So he went ahead and recorded it, but I ended up calling and we talked and started comparing uh, details of uh, what she remembered of me and details of what I remembered. And it didn't take long to realize that this was my mother wow. and, and it was insane. And, and of the course of that conversation, and not only did I find out that she was alive and well and living in Texas, she had told me in her search for me that her, her son, um, my half brother had been able to locate my biological father wow. who is alive and well up in Syracuse, New York and had dropped the bombshell on him back in 2015 that he had a son wow. <laughs> that he had fathered in Vietnam. So I found out in the course of one phone call that, you know, my and mother, my parents. birth mother was alive. I had, yeah. right. I had my birth mother was alive. I had a uh, brother and sister uh, on both sides uh, of the family that my birth father was That alive. just seems so, like a lot to handle in one day. Oh, like... it was overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was pretty overwhelming. Uh, I, I, I had taken my sons to go see a movie right after. It was, just, it was the new Alien movie. I can't remember which one it was. But I can tell you right now, honestly, I, I don't remember what the movie was about or anything. I, there was just so much running through my mind. But I you know, I told my sons I had to get my promise to him, So I took them to the movies. And I just I couldn't sit still, think about yeah, anything else. no kidding. That's such an incredible story. And, Con, I want to hear about yours. Well, can I, can I just say, Linda, I've known Kirk for a little while, but every time I hear that story, like you, I get goosebumps. I get goosebumps every single time. And I, and I think part of it's because I have some sense of the emotion that he might have been feeling as he was going through all of that. But it's just an amazing story to hear, even though I've heard it a bunch of times now. Um, so, Kirk, thanks for sharing that. Um, and we do have a lot in common. I mean, we um, um, both being adopted from Vietnam. Uh, maybe questioning some things as kids. I actually um, had a lot of questions and concerns and maybe um, hurdles to overcome as a kid. But for me, swimming was like the big thing that helped me kind of stay afloat and um, stay on the straight and narrow and, and start doing the right things. It was a way to focus all of the energy I had as a kid. Now, eventually I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be great if I actually went to the Olympics someday and you know how they, the NBC will broadcast the Olympics. They'll do these little backstories, the biological stories about the athletes and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I had this idea that if I ended up in the Olympics, maybe NBC would do this background package on me and my birth parents would find me. So while I was mm -hmm. growing up, that's what I was thinking about as I was training as a swimmer and, and trying to become as fast as possible and, and potentially make the U.S. Olympic team. Uh, now, I never did. I never made it to the Olympics. But I did... Uh, have some great opportunities because of swimming. And eventually I actually went to the University of San Francisco, which was an, just an awesome opportunity for me because I think growing up half black and half Asian in this Swedish and Irish family, there were just a lot of identity questions for me. And going to a place like San Francisco for college was great because in, in a city that diverse, um, I just mm -hmm. never felt out of place um, like I had felt growing up in the small farming community where I grew up in California. So going to the University of San Francisco was really helpful. And at some point, I can remember coming home and I said to my parents, you know, I, I think it's time for me to go back to Vietnam, right? I've, I've been mm -hmm. thinking about my Vietnamese culture. I've been living here in San Francisco and exploring that Vietnamese culture a little bit. I really want to go back to Vietnam. So this was, gosh, 1998. 
And my mother says to me, hey, we started saving money when you were a baby, just in case at some point you might want to go back Mm -hmm. to Vietnam. So I decided this was a trip I wanted to make. I was 27 years old at the time. And I realized I couldn't do it alone. Like I, I knew this was going to be an incredibly emotional experience. And so I asked my adoptive family if they would come with me. So my parents and my two sisters and I, we traveled to Da Nang and we found Sacred Heart Orphanage um, and actually met the nuns who had taken care of me as a baby. So this was, even to this day, um, I I think I'm still learning from that experience. It was so profound and so amazing for me, for my adoptive family, and I'll also say probably for the nuns as well. I mean, they they really had dedicated their entire lives to raising kids, taking care of kids like Kirk and I. And so to see one of those kids come back with his adoptive family was a big deal to the nuns. It was almost like it was validating all the work and sacrifice um, that they had uh, given over the years. So that was my first real kind of exploration of birth families going back to Vietnam. And it wasn't until later that I decided to do the DNA testing. Um, But I I remember uh, Kirk and I have a friend who has also been involved in trying to help people reunite with family in Vietnam. And she had sent me a DNA test And I have to say, it sat on my coffee table for a year. I just couldn't get myself to take it. And I think I was nervous about what I would find or that I might not find anything. And so eventually, uh, after about a year, I decided, all right, let me take it. I'll, I'll just forget about it and I'll move on with my life. I just won't worry about it. Well, I took the test and I would say, I don't know, three or four weeks later, I got an email from someone saying that they were a distant cousin of mine. So that was the first experience I had with connecting with someone um, from my birth family. So an amazing experience, but I I also knew that I was still going to look. I wanted to find my birth mother. Um, I didn't know if she was alive, but I, I definitely wanted to find her. So gosh, we fast forward all the way to the end of 2020. And I eventually connected with um, a woman who turns out to be a niece of mine who lives in Chicago. And she was able to let me know that her mom is actually my half-sister and her grandmother is actually my birth mother. So I've also found uh, my birth mother, though I haven't had the same connection that Kirk has had. I haven't had a conversation with my birth mother, but I do know that she's alive and well and lives about 10 minutes from the orphanage where she took me almost 50 years ago. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Like I, I I'm, I'm just over here, like flabbergasted by yeah. just well, the Lynn, journey now, now you that see- you guys have gone through. And how Linda, now you see why Khan is our spokesperson. I've heard his story a hundred times, and I swear he ma- it about makes me cry. I know, time. I'm He's over so here. spoken and in detail <laughs> yeah. with, with the way he talks, and it's amazing. That, that's why Khan is our spokesperson. Yeah, I'm over here holding back the tears because, I mean, it's just such a – it's so inspiring in so many ways. And, you know, what keeps coming forward for me is, you know, for especially for Kirk, like how did your your adoptive parents take this? Um, not, not well, I'll I'll be honest with you. They didn't take it well. Um, and this is one of those things that we're, we're exploring through the foundation and through some of the projects we're doing with the foundation is some of the struggles adoptees have growing up as an, as as an adoptee and and the relationships that exist between the adoptive parents, adoptive siblings, 
so prior to finding out that um, my parents were still alive, um, things were already kind of strained there for, for a myriad of reasons, and many of which, quite honestly, I accept as uh, my fault, because there were some decisions I made that they didn't agree with that were poor decisions, and I paid dearly for it. But our relationship, my relationship with my adoptive family at the time was pretty strained to begin with. So when I discovered my birth family, um, it, it strained it even further, and you know, for, for a myriad of reasons. But um, I, I would like to think that there, there will be a day when they can understand and be happy for mm -hmm. me and understand that, um, that the perception or, or the idea that might have existed that I was trying to replace my adoptive family certainly was not the case. Because uh, as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't even expecting to find family. I wasn't looking for a family. I was just merely trying to settle a, a silly bet between my wife and right. I. Um, so it's just one of those things where I think, you know, that that old saying time truly does heal. And it's just one of the things I've got to be patient and, and understanding from their point of view, uh, especially their point of view, because if I don't, then it's kind of you know one sided and it's it would not be right for me to course, to do that. So it, it's it's not been easy for me. Well, light ahead to that situation. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in how you guys came together and how you met. And can you share a little bit about that? And also um, how you guys came to form your foundation? All right, Kirk, can I talk about how we met? Okay, because I love telling the story because <laughs> I sure. think when I, when I discovered um, this niece of mine and my um, sister that lived in Chicago, when I discovered them, I was feeling incredible gratitude. And this is one of the things that I think, I mean, Kirk and I have a lot in common in terms of our stories, but one of the emotions, one of the feelings that we have in common that we always talk about is gratitude. Gratitude for the decision that our uh, mothers made to, to, to get us to an orphanage. Gratitude for the opportunities that we had growing up um, as, as adoptees. Um, and so when I was feeling incredibly overwhelmed with all this emotion as I'm connecting with, with biological family, I noticed online on a Facebook page that Kirk was actually working on this project about the Sacred Heart Orphanage. And I just thought, wow, this is someone who is not, I mean, he has overcome all of these different obstacles. He has all of this gratitude and he's trying to do something great um, beyond himself, right? This isn't about him. This is about work that he wants to do on behalf of adoptees and military personnel. And I just thought that was, I mean, I was inspired by that. I was inspired by the work that he was doing. And so I just made a contribution to a project that he had been working on. Now that project eventually morphed into something else, but this is actually how Kirk and I met. I, I sent him a contribution. And I just said, congratulations on what you're doing. I think this is amazing. And Kirk, I'm going to let you pick it up from here. But I was inspired to reach out to Kirk because of what he was doing. I just thought it was so great how he was using his um, his talents uh, to really make the world better for other people. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I can tell you, after the contribution was made, um, one of the things as one of the project leads for the project we were working on was to personally reach out to every contributor and thank him. And when I thanked, and reached out to Con and thanked him, it and we were kind of going back and forth. I, I, it didn't take me long to realize that we had been in the same orphanage together. We were at Sacred Heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that's not something that is very common. Mm -hmm. So there was that immediate connection as far as that's concerned. But there was just something about um, the, the discussion that Con and I had. And it's very much along the lines of what he was saying about the the, the, the likeness we have in, in, of gratitude. Our, our you know thankfulness for the life we have, the life we were given. 
and, and everything, you know, from the veterans over there fighting the war to everything that we have have now. Mm -hmm. uh, just the gratitude, but not only the gratitude, but the, the, the desire to try to share that gratitude to pay for those blessings for lack of better terms to pay for the blessings and not hold on to it because i can tell you for two years after i found my parents i sat on that knowing that that was a huge blessing but knowing that there was something i needed to do with mm -hmm. it uh, because to me it was it was a blessing that was far bigger than me individually and and far bigger than you know the adoptee community collectively it was just a huge blessing and i knew that it would be wrong for me to sit on that and not do something with it and when i you know connected with con and i realized this is somebody that is very much in line with what I'm wanting to do, my vision, what I'm wanting to try to do with these blessings. And it was just like, you know, everything started clicking on all, all four cylinders and we just started taking off from there. And the rest, as they say, is history. That's pretty amazing. And, and I just have to say that um, I actually, I, I totally get this feeling of gratitude from the both of you. And, and I, and in, in my own strange way, not strange, but you know, my parents are immigrants from, um, from Laos and they came over here because of the Vietnam War also. And I was their first American born child. So I know the struggles that they went through. And also when they got here, like I, you know, every day I, I walk on the beach and I just say thank you for the life that I was given because it could have taken a completely different turn and things could have been different for you guys too. And I just have this, this belief that things work out the way that they do because there is a higher plan for us, whether we be want to believe that or not. And what keeps coming forward for me while you're sharing is that this, this, connectedness that you have has really been brought about to to really move this work forward and this feeling of gratitude and this feeling of of um what's just that there is connectedness that everybody is connected to something bigger than themselves and despite you know the the hard feelings or the um the emotional baggage or the the negative things there is light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, and I really appreciate that, that you guys are, are sharing this work because of this connection of gratitude. Um, so I, I want to know more about your documentary. I, I hear that you guys are, you know, word on the street is that you're producing this documentary called Intersections. Can one of you share a little bit more about that? Um, yeah, sure. I'd be, I'd be happy to talk on that. Uh, as Khan mentioned earlier, uh, when he and I first connected, uh, there was a project that I was working on with another director, and, and the project was going to be a long format, maybe 30-minute or 60-minute uh, documentary that focused on the lives of a couple of adoptees. Uh, as we were doing research, or, and especially me personally, as I was doing research to get information for this documentary, I was connecting with so many different people. I was connecting with fellow adoptees, connecting with veterans. And it didn't take long for me to realize that this is a much bigger story than a single long format documentary. I said, there are so many stories to be told. There's no way we can jam all these into a 30 minute or 60 minute show. There, there's got to be something we can do to try to tell these stories. And it just so happens that my background is in, in video production, photojournalism. Um, I currently work for the city of Virginia Beach at the communications office in that capacity. And it just started got, getting me thinking. I'm like, you know what? If we're wanting to start this foundation and we're wanting to help adoptees uh, reconnect with their birth families and deal with the issues of being an adoptee, and we're wanting to show some gratitude towards our veterans and our active military personnel that are you know, in combat and fighting for the freedoms we have, 
and are suffering emotionally for it, why not use my experience of storytelling and being able to do that on the big screen through a series of stories? So that's kind of how that original project morphed into what it is now. So we're trying to do what we can to tell the stories individually and give each story the the, the screen time it deserves to be as impactful as it can and to be able to tell all the details that need to be told and to be able to hopefully touch somebody out there who might be going through the same thing or having the same issues, be able to relate to that, to be able to connect to that and be able to, more importantly, heal from it. And if they can do that and they can heal from it, they can in turn understand that that in itself, the healing, the connections and the emotions uh, being taken care of is a blessing. And they in turn can turn around and, you know, kind of pay that blessing forward and kind of be a part of that whole movement. So that's kind of how the whole miniseries uh, or not miniseries or whatever you want to call it, docuseries kind of kind of originated. Well, Kirk, I I think that this docuseries is going to touch a lot of people. Um, I mean, it's such a universal, the themes and the emotions that you're, you know, that you're talking about is so universal that, uh, I mean, I just think it's going to move a lot of people. So thank you for sharing about that. Um, I wanted to go back and I, and I think I kind of skipped over this, so I apologize for that, but I want to know more about your C2C foundation. Um, Can you tell us about your organization and what your mission is and what your purpose is on this planet? Con, you want to go and tackle that one, bud? Are you sure? I I, I actually yeah, like how yeah. you describe it. <laughs> you sound so much better. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, you look, do have can, that can... smooth voice, Con. <laughs> exactly. Well, maybe we can tag team this particular one because Kirk really is the driving force behind this. I mean, I'm happy to be involved. I'm passionate about it as well. Uh, but I think when you hear Kirk talk about it, you understand uh, why this is so important to all of us. But I'll, I'll start with a little bit. So um, ultimately, there are two main missions of our foundation. And, and one is to really help um, Vietnamese adoptees reconnect with family. Um, this is something that um, uh, isn't cheap. Um, and it's also wrapped in all kinds of different emotion. And so having people a part of the organization, a part of the foundation who have been through that process of trying to decide whether or not they were going to look for a birth family and actually deciding to take the DNA test. I mean, on some level, it seems simple to do those things, but there's so much emotion wrapped into it that it's really valuable to have people um, in the foundation who've actually had that experience, who've made the decision to go for it and have been that person sitting there and all of a sudden seeing the email saying, oh my gosh, you've got biological family. So from an emotional standpoint, I just think it's really important that we have people as part of this foundation who have experienced that. Um, and it's not like these kinds of family uh, connections are going to solve uh, every issue or answer every question that an adoptee might have, but um, it is a good way to start and continue the process of emotional healing. Because I don't, it doesn't really matter who you are or where you're from. As an adoptee, I think there's just so much. It's such a complex relationship that you have with your adoptive family and potentially with biological family that you might find. So we just want people as a part of the foundation who, who understand what that's like. So that's the, the first part. And then the second part is really supporting our military veterans and active duty military, those who have been part of conflict and, and um, served in the military um, overseas or domestically, we really want to make sure that they have a space for emotional healing as well. Um, 
I just think, I, I think I imagine my birth father and some of the things that he had to go through as a, um, as, well, he served in the military in Vietnam and the stories that you hear, the things that I've read about over the years, um, it is, it is traumatic. It is a trauma that needs to be addressed. And so one of the things the foundation does is provide, um, our military veterans with some opportunities to spend some time on the beach. We call it beach life. Um, <laughs> and just an opportunity. It's kind of um, uh, a way to, what do we call, we used to call it saltwater therapy, right, Kirk? Yeah. And just a chance for them to get away with their families, spend some time at the beach, do some fishing, do some paddle boarding um, and relax and, and um, really take advantage um, of that, um, that warm feeling of being together and knowing that they're not dealing with all of these things on their own. Uh, I think when you're in the darkness of dealing with trauma, sometimes you think you are the only one. And it's nice to spend some time with folks um, who understand exactly what you're going through. And that's part of what Beach Life uh, and that kind of saltwater therapy does for our military veterans. That's incredible. I am so inspired. Um by your foundation. And uh, we were coming up at the top of our time. So is there anything else that you'd like to say to those um, listening right now who may be adoptees from the war and how they can find you if they want to reach out for assistance? Well, I think a lot of the messages for the adoptees, they're going to come out through the docuseries as well. But I think the main points I would definitely want to hit on and, and for them to know right off the top is number one, they need to know they're not alone. Uh, there, there are thousands of us that have been where they are, that are where they are, that know what kind of baggage goes along with being an adoptee, what kind of emotional and mental issues you deal with. Um, I think another key point that I would definitely want to make is that don't let the past define you. And I'm talking about the past, whether you controlled it or whether it was controlled for you. You know, adoptees weren't adopted or weren't put in the orphanage because they wanted to. That wasn't their choice. They were given that life. So the, the biggest thing I would you know, want to tell them is don't let that define you. What you need to let define you is the decisions you make now as an adult and what you've learned through your lessons as an adoptee uh, growing up your entire life and, and, and how to better yourself and, and how to better others around you because of your experiences um, and, 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 and to find ways to overcome your struggles, get the help if you need it. And then finally would be, you know, understand that there are blessings regardless of how dark that rabbit hole might've been that you went down, that there are blessings in your life and that if you, find yourself in that position where you recognize those blessings. If you pay them forward, you're going to find a whole lot of healing to be able to do that. That's amazing. Well, I really love that message. And, um, and how can we find your organization? Uh, well, we're on we Facebook go? and we have a presence there uh, under the Seacoast to Coast dot, or um, I'm sorry, under Seacoast to Coast organization uh, foundation. And we also have a website. It's www.sea, the number two, the letter C.org. So it's c to c.org. So by the way, we, just wanted to make sure people knew that there are more people a part of this foundation than just Kirk and I. Um, we have two other adoptees, Rachel Galvez and Mike Anderer, who are also at the same orphanage in Da Nang. So it's one of the great parts, that I think, about this story is that the four of us were actually at the same orphanage in the same town um, at about the same time in Vietnam. And uh, Rachel is actually uh, with Kirk kind of taking the lead in this particular foundation. Mike and I are kind of doing some of the other stuff, but we're enjoying it as well. Kirk, do you, do you want to add anything else? No, just uh, it's kind of funny because Rachel was one of the adoptees that I, I um, connected with doing research for that original project that I was on. And uh, she found her 
biological mother very much the same way that I did by accident a month after I found mine. So the timing was just absolutely insane. But she had the same heart that we all do as far as wanting to give back and wanting to uh, pay these blessings forward. And it's just, you know, we were talking about earlier about connections. It's just amazing that the foundation was able to be co-founded by both of us simply through our connections of trying to figure out what we we're going to do as far as how to tell our stories and researching all the information that goes into that. And I can actually think of one other connection that's really key in this. And that is, is that there is a photo that, and, oh. and I'm not even remembering how Kirk got his hands on this photo, but it's a photo of Mike Ander and I in the same crib at the orphanage at the same time. So when yeah. we met months ago for the first time in New York city, we actually recreated that photo that's essentially 49, 50 years old. Uh, so that's yeah. another really cool connection that we've made as part of this project. Yeah, Linda, that, that, that is crazy how that happened. That's what happened amazing, was I was you guys. talking with Khan and Mike separately. They hadn't even talked to each other uh, of talking about our connections. And this was research for, for the film. And Khan sent me a baby picture of him, emailed me a baby picture of him uh, being held by one of the nuns. And that same time, Mike sent me a baby picture of him in the orphanage with this child sitting next to him. I'm looking at the picture. I'm like, holy smokes, this is the same guy. This is the other guy that I'm talking to literally right now. So I called Khan up and said, hey, I don't know uh, what you're doing, but you need to sit down because I'm about to send you something that will blow your mind. And it's, just, it's insane how that happened. <laughs> Just miracles in action. That's what's really coming forward oh, yeah. for me is miracles in action. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much again for sharing your beautiful stories. Um, I can't wait to see this, this docuseries that's coming out. And Khan, I can't hear you. I can't wait to hear your voice on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to disappoint. Thanks, Linda. <laughs> Told you. <laughs> To learn more about our guests, Kirk Keller-Hells and Khan Oxelson, along with Southeast Asian Coast to Coast Foundation, please visit c2c.org. That's S-E-A, the number two, the letter C.org. Also, if you have any suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next week. I'm Linda Schwartz. Thank you for listening. And please be sure to join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Until then, take care, everybody. 